0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. We'll be starting a new study today. We're going to be um, working our way through the book of Revelation. So today we're going to read the first eight verses. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And when you find it, would you please stand for reading God's word. All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.
1: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thankful to you today, Lord, for what we've just witnessed with the, the baptism. Another young man who who is committing his life to your will and to serve as you please Lord we're asking for your blessings on him Lord using for your for your glory use him to uh, be a witness to others who need to know about you and father we pray that for all of us that you would make us faithful witnesses just as we're reading about here this witness named John and Of course, uh, the, the witness, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us faithful witnesses as well. Enable us and empower us to faithfully and accurately represent you and your kingdom in this world. We're thankful for your word and we're thankful for your spirit dwelling in us. Thankful, Lord, that you have promised to provide all that we need. Everything needed for life and godliness. Lord, help us in this study Uh, throughout this book. uh, We we all acknowledge that there are um, probably uh, unique difficulties here. And as always when handling your truth, Lord, we, we need your enabling power anyway. We need you to open our understanding to what you are saying Lord, grant that we may be able to interpret these things correctly and apply them the right ways for our own good and, Lord, ultimately for your honor and glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, amen. Um, It's a blessing, as I said, uh, to uh, witness another baptism. Amen another life that is committed to the Lord. Uh, listen, this is always the distinction in, in reading the Bible. Uh, we know as Christians, it's going to be uh, highlighted here in this book, there, there is a difference between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ, or to say it another way, a difference in believers and unbelievers, those who know God and those who don't, the redeemed and those who are still perishing. Those things, those distinctions, or that distinction, rather, I just said it different ways, but that distinction is going to be highlighted here. There, there's a difference in the kingdom of God and those who remain under the power of Satan. Now, what I want to do this morning is really just going to be introductory, all right? And there's uh, uh, still a lot to cover, but I think we can we can do it in, in, uh, in reasonable time here. Uh, so... Uh, uh, just uh, uh pray for that don 't hold me to it, but I mean pray for it, you know <coughs> and pray with me for it all right so um, so i 'm just going to give you some information to start with here, and then we'll we'll uh, we 'll start working our way through um, some of the main ideas of the text here, as I said this morning' just going to kind of be introductory and we 'll and we 'll um, we we probably won't be moving real fast on this. When I was talking to Miss Joe about it last night, she said, "Boy, you Jesus will come back before you finish that." So, well, maybe, but that's all right. <laughs> of course, that could happen before next Sunday, right? Could happen before this evening. Um, so, um, we we won't be in a in a hurry, really. Other than other than what I always try to do is is find find that balance, <laughs> and it's elusive. But but find that balance between moving too fast, I mean, because we want to take in as much as we can, and moving so slow that we would forget, you know, by the time we get to chapter 5 what chapter 1 was about, you know, um, or something like that. So we'll try to keep a reasonable pace, but, but we do want to glean as much as, as we can. Um, but it is, as I said, a, a challenging uh, a challenging book in, in some ways that, uh, that others are not. But I, I want to say this as, as well. The main points, which, Lord willing, this is what I'm going to be trying to highlight, the the main points are are clear. The main themes here are clear. So we're not going to figure out what every wing and eyeball and and, uh, candle, you know, that kind of thing represents. Um, We're not going to figure all that out. I can just tell you up front. Uh, And I'm not going to present uh, those things to you that I'm unsure about as though I were sure about them. That's another, another thing that I, I endeavor to do is, is to be honest and say, look, um, here are some different views of how this can be um, thought about. I'll, I'll have to give you some examples of that as we move along. But here are some different views, and, um, and, and, you know, it could be this, it could be that. But, again, take heart because the main thing, the main thing will be obvious, all right? So some of those things uh, we, we may come away from. Well, many of those things we'll come away with without definite answers, but the main things will be clear, I, I assure you. And this book is, is um, also you know, unique in that it, it pronounces a blessing on those who read it. Isn't that interesting because so many people are intimidated by the book of Revelation um, that, that they don't look at it, don't study it. Um, and it actually pronounces a blessing on those who do just that verse verse three blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it so it's not just it's not just hearing it with the ear but it's it's reading it hearing it and keeping it for the time is near John says all right so a few things here um, I think one of the real, gosh, at at any time and point in church history, it's always beneficial to study God's Word, right? But there are some ways currently uh, that I I think you're going to see as we move through here um, that this this will have special application, greater application. I I guess what I should say is really that our eyes will be more alert to it. It it always has this relevance and it always has, God's Word always has uh, relevance to whatever age, but but I think with things moving the way that they are in the world, not only in our nation, but but in the world, um, that our sensitivity is a bit heightened. Um, Last week, 21 of our brothers in Egypt were beheaded simply because they are Christians. And I'm assuming that they were brothers. Um, if, if they were truly born again, then they were our brothers, are our brothers. They're just no longer in this world. Also, you know, I mentioned, you know, concerning our own, some of the events going on in our own uh, society, we are um, we are beginning to see what I think is just the first throes of, of persecution to come. Um, just this week. Um, I don't know if any of you have been keeping up with this, and I don't know how to pronounce her first name, Bar- Barnell Stutzman. Um, she's a florist in Washington State. And this week she was ordered by a state judge to provide services for a same-sex wedding. Order, all right? So now, this case has been going on for some time because she refused to provide services for a same-sex wedding. And uh, her, uh, one of the men uh, who was going to be, quote, married, uh, actually, a friend of hers who had been doing business with her for a long time so that 's an important um, side note by the way she she never refused to do business with him. She refused to work their wedding because that you know that that's her her business is artistic and it, to to do a wedding involves uh, actually celebrating what what is taking place i mean anybody any uh, lady especially in this room that 's ever helped uh, with a um, Wedding service, like our, our wedding reception, or you know you know how that is. I mean, you're trying to get everything to look just right, and you're all excited and get it's it's a it's a celebration. Well, she couldn't participate in that because she's a Christian, and so this week, a state judge ordered her to comply, and uh, there are great consequences if she doesn't. I mean, she stands to lose everything because the one one of the two men filed suit against her, and also the state attorney general. Um, fire uh, filed suit against her i mean she could lose everything uh in terms of, of her business and her even her home and all my understanding is that um when they go to collect and 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 they can they can collect court costs and all that because she's she's lost and and when they do they 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 can get not only her business but her personal assets uh, because she's the owner so uh I'm assuming, you know, appeals are underway. But anyway, pray for her, certainly. But that's just one example. You've and heard, you've heard of others um, going through similar things. So I, I mention that to say this. Th- these are difficult times in some ways that at least those of us in America are not used to. Now, some of the things that are going on around the world have been going on for a long time. And to our, to our shame, you know, we just haven't paid attention maybe like, like we should have. But then again, even that seems to have, those things seem to have escalated. Um, and I don't have time to go into all the, the movement of ISIS here and, and, and uh, um, their forming of a caliphate. I, w- I will suggest this. There's an article available on the web. It's going to be published in the Atlantic, I think in the March version. It's already available on, on, on the Internet, though, called What Does ISIS Really Want? And it, it's, it's just very good, and it'll, it'll open your eyes to some things. Um, but it's, it's about a 30-page article, but it's, it's good. Very good. So there's a lot, lot of things going on that, that have us kind of wondering, wow, what in the world is taking place? Well, in terms of history, this is not altogether new. We, we've been here before more than once. And in one sense, this is the way that it was in the first century church. So this book of, of Revelation, which I'm going to be referring to a lot as the Revelation, because that's what the author calls it, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, or, or um, uh, the book of Revelation. But the, the Revelation that we're going to be studying here is given to the church for assurance, comfort. So that's why I say, we, we can, as, as we look around, and it seems like the, the, the world is just going crazy, it's all the more reason that we ought to be looking at this book and studying it. Um, it, it certainly has relevance for us. Uh, so it, it does apply, as we will see. There's much here that, that points forward to end-time events, but it, it has lessons and, and meaning for us, um, application for us, not only for the very end, but also for, um, for the now. I'll come back to that in a little bit. So, um, first of all, the author. Traditionally, and this is a widely accepted tradition because of the writings of some early Christians um, traditionally, it has been understood to be the Apostle John. Now, he tells us in here that his name is John, so we know for sure it's John. Um, but what John? Well, again, according to tradition, it, it has it has been widely accepted through the church throughout the church and the church age that it is the Apostle John, the brother of James, um, whom Jesus called the sons of thunder, also the author of. First, second, third John, and also the author of the Gospel of John. So when you when you see, um, for example, um, he's referred to as Jesus' servant John in verse um, verse two, and then he says down in verse nine, "I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation." That's that's who we're talking about here. That's who's being talked about. The date. The date is, is significant for this reason. It, again, this is widely accepted that it was penned somewhere around 90 to 95 A.D., or A.D. 90 to 95. That's important for this reason, because I'm, I'm gonna probably here and there be talking some about the destruction of Jerusalem, and, and uh, I don't see how we can not talk about that some, uh, and Jesus' prophecies concerning that in, in Matthew 24 and Luke 13, uh, Mark 13 and Luke 21, rather. Um, all, of, all of those uh, tie in, but this is written after that. So uh, much of what we're going to see here, uh, if, if, the, if we have the date right, it cannot be referring to the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 70 A.D., A.D. 70, because this is written um, 20 to uh, 25 years after that. that. I think you'll see that that will take on... You'll see as we go that, that that has significance. The genre, and boy, this is what makes it interesting, uh, a big part of what makes it interesting, and a big part of what makes it difficult. It, it uh, falls in the category or the genre of apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. That's actually coming, that term, usually when you hear that term, you know, you, you, you think about uh, uh, an end time battle. Right, a decisive, the, the last, the, the final decisive battle. I remember, I remember when um, uh, we were threatening war against Iraq you know, the first time and, and uh, Saddam Hussein said it was going to be the mother of all battles. And it, it, it wound up lasting about 100 hours, the mother of all battles. Um, but uh, he was certainly wrong. And, of course, even if it had gone on like, the, like it did eventually, gone, gone on for years... At least a second after the second invasion, um, we have not reached the real mother of all battles yet. And usually, when we use that term apocalyptic, that's what we're thinking about—the the end. But that term really—and and it does have to have to do with that, that's the way it's come to be applied. But that term really it comes from this title, the, the word Revelation, apocalypsis, re- Revelation. Um, and I'll come back to that momentarily. But the book is apocalyptic in nature. In other words, it does have to do um, largely with with end time events and the idea of a of a final struggle. And of course, uh, we know as Christians, uh, the victory of Jesus Christ. All right. So, in one sense, um, it's it's in terms of its nature. In one sense, it's pessimistic. And by that, I mean this: it doesn't see the world as getting better. Um, it sees the world as getting worse. The apocalyptic um, view um, it sees the world as getting worse. But optimistic in this sense that um, it, it holds the view of a final um, positive outcome. That is, that in the end, God will intervene and God wins. And we win because God wins. We win because Jesus wins. So, it's pessimistic in the sense that the world is going to get worse Optimistic in the sense that God's um, victor in the end, okay? So it's apocalyptic in nature. And by the way, there's a lot of um, literature out there that is apocalyptic in nature, especially uh, like ancient Jewish literature from what we call the intertestamental period. And that's, you that's know, between Malachi and Matthew uh, or, or Mark. Most people believe Mark was written first. But between Malachi and the New Testament, Um, So, um, Revelation is not the only apocalyptic book. That's just a a, a, a category and a style of writing, um, a style of content, and it fits in that category. However, this one is inspired. (laughs) It's the inspired Word of God. So, it is certainly set apart from the others in that sense. Okay, Um, what's the purpose behind it? Well, it was given to the seven churches in Asia. Now, John starts out in his uh, little prologue here. In verse verse 1, he says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then he goes on to say, Blessed is... Pronounce the blessing. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. And look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So primarily, or, or at least initially, it's given to the seven churches in Asia. But I would say by extension, um, it is a, it is a um, revelation from God to the church. Universal, the church throughout the ages. So it it is also for you and I, in other words. Although um, when it was penned, during that period, um, it was specifically given to the seven churches in Asia that that he will go on uh, to mention in the latter part of this chapter. And Jesus actually sends personal letters to that we have recorded here in chapters 2 and chapter 3. All right, so let me back up for just a minute and, and thinking about that. And let's see how it got to them, though. John says in verse 1, It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. Interesting, isn't it? God, God gave this revelation to Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think, by the way, that's a way to think about it primarily. I'll come back to that in a moment. I'm to get ahead of myself. But, but it's a revelation of Jesus Christ or the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to Jesus to show to his servants so god gave it to jesus jesus for the purpose of jesus showing his servants the things that must soon take place and he made it known by sending his angel that is jesus sent his angel to his servant john god gives it to jesus jesus gives it to john by means of his uh, his angel and john to the seven churches in Asia, and from there to you and I, down, down through the, uh, the channels to, to you and I. We have it, uh, praise God, we have it before us today. So, it's given by the Lord to the seven churches in Asia, and as I said, by extension to, entire, to the entirety of the church world, to provide assurance and comfort for perseverance in troubled times. It was sent to them, and here's a quote by a a commentator, by George Ladd, a commentator named George Ladd, um, who says, It was sent to them to steal God's people in the face of their trials. That term steal just means to to fill them with resolution or determination. So, I think that's a great description. Christ sends this revelation to the churches, to steal them, that is to fill them, let's, let's just personalize it, to fill us with resolution or determination in the face of trials. And that's why I, I was alluding to those things I was I was talking about earlier. Um, there's been tribulation all along, Jesus, Jesus said of his disciples in John sixteen thirty three, said to his disciples, in the world you have tribulation. It seems to me, and I'll, this is something we'll have to unpack as we go, but it seems to me that um, the way things are going to work out, there's, there, there's been tribulation for the church since day one, but the closer that we get to the end, it, in, it increases and it intensifies. Now, it certainly seems, however close we are to the, to the end it certainly seems to me that it is, it, for the United States of America, at least, it is a intensifying now. Of course, then when you take things into consideration like um, ISIS and the increasing reach of Iran, uh, you could just say the, the increasing reach of, uh, of Islam in, in general. Um, when, you, when you take into consideration those things, it's, it appears that it is intensifying worldwide. Now, I say that carefully because there have been other times in history that uh, it has looked very bleak, very bleak. And sometimes even the same, the very same uh, uh, means, used at least in a similar way. I mean, you go back to the to the uh, Middle Ages, for example, and Islam was a strong force, strong opposition for the church. And then um, with... Uh, The British Empire conquering (laughs) half the world (laughs) and uh, kind of subduing that, uh, it was kept in check for a long, long period. Uh, But now um, we're we're seeing it emerge again, all right? So that's why I'm just a little careful in saying that that things are worse now than than they ever have been. I'm not going to go so far as to say that because even the first century um, was uh, just, just incredible things going on in the Roman Empire. Um, you think one of the biggest problems we have in our country today is uh, sexual immorality and how it is becoming the norm? Well, read up a little bit on things that were going on in the Roman Empire in, in the days of Jesus and, and, uh, and John and Paul. And uh, we, we haven't quite got there yet uh, in terms of, you know, declining. Uh, but looks like we're well on the way, doesn't it? Uh, so things have been very bleak in the past and, and they're, they're very bleak now, at least it looks that way from our perspective, what could change it? Revival, right? And again, that's why I'm being careful to say, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm going to show you that, that uh, you know, we're going to talk about tribulation and all that, but God could bring revival, couldn't He? He could, he could turn people around in this country, He could turn people around in other countries of the world. In fact, you do hear reports of revival coming out of many countries. Just yesterday I saw an article on the Dominican Republic or they were calling it the, uh, the New Geneva. And, and that is, um, without going into a long explanation, what they were saying is um, Reformation theology has taken such a hold, and, and that's a hand for what you and I believe, you know, the sovereignty of God and uh, uh, sovereign election and so forth, has taken such a hold in the Dominican Republic that it is like uh, a, a, a headquarters or, you know, Reformation Central uh, today. Uh, That's great news. I'm glad to hear that. And and we'd love to see revival in uh, other parts of the world as well. So God could turn it around in a heartbeat by sending revival. But if he doesn't do that, then things can only um, get worse. All right, so what's the main point? I'm going to give you two here. Uh, I know that sounds kind of funny. How can you have two the main points? Uh, Because I'm going to give you one for the whole book and one for this little section that Joel read earlier that we're we're kind of zeroing in on today. So here's what how I would sum up the main point of the whole book. The book of the book of the Revelation is to provide proper perspective for living in this dark and troubled world. Remember that because that that's what Jesus is doing here for his followers. He's he's giving insight in order to strengthen them, or to use the words of George Ladd again, to steal them, that is to fill us with resolution and determination that would empower us to persevere in this world. How do 21 men face execution the way that we saw last week? You say, yeah, I know, on one hand, you say, well, they didn't have a choice. And Well, but... Um, no, but, but they seem to face it um, with with courage that you just wouldn't normally, that you, you couldn't muster up. That's the grace of God that does that. And it, and it comes with knowing, that, having some sense of the reality of who God is and who's really in control. And so that's something that we all want. It's another reason that I say um, it's good for us to spend time in this book, uh, not only the the Revelation, but the whole Bible. All right, so the main point is to provide proper perspective for living in this dark and troubled world. It does this by emphasizing the true nature of God, His sovereignty, and the victory won in Christ. The coming judgment upon those who oppose Him and the eternal reward for all who believe and follow, believe in and follow Jesus. I'll say that again. It does this. That is, it provides um, perspective for us to live in this dark world. It does this by emphasizing the true nature of God, His sovereignty, the victory won in Christ, the coming judgment upon those who oppose Him, and the eternal reward for all who believe in and follow Jesus. Now, two main points here, in terms of our outline. I'm sorry, three three main points. <laughs> Got to have at least three. You know, three three point sermon. Three main points in terms of the outline. Oh, I forgot to give you the other the other main statement, didn't I? And this is just for today's text. The main point for today's text is um, these are things God wants us to know in order to strengthen our faith and enable us to persevere. Very similar. But the, the reason I'm saying it that way is because he, he says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is God giving us things that he wants us to know concerning things that must soon take place. That's verse 1. All right? So, three main points for um, as far as the sermon outline. And the first one is this, just simply a disclosure, all right? A disclosure. Now, what I'm getting at here is a definition for the word revelation. And I like, um, like to, just to put it really simple, it is that God wants us to know some things. So, so He's giving us some things He wants us to know. That's what a revelation is. A revelation is God making us know some things, or, or let's say it this way, God revealing things to us that we would not otherwise be able to know. These are not things that we can find out on our own. So, revelation is is a disclosure. It is, it, it's a disclosure. It is God disclosing Himself and disclosing things about His will, making known to us things that we would otherwise not know. Let me just give you an example. I know a lot of you are familiar with this uh, passage already, but in fact, I'll give you a couple of, of examples out of 1 Corinthians um, A little bit of of a parallel passage, a little bit of an explanation. In 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, um, verse 7, Paul writes to the Corinthians, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And what he's doing is contrasting that with the wisdom of this age we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None, And he's talking about the gospel, by the way, redemption through Christ. Verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, and here Paul is quoting from Isaiah 64, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us. And by the way, that's the verb form of the same word um, that, that's used for the, uh, for the title of Revelation and um, for, the, for the word Revelation in verse 1, Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. This is the verb form of it. These things God has revealed to us through His Spirit or through the Spirit. All right? So so there's a good example. God reveals to us through His Spirit things that we wouldn't otherwise know. In fact, look down, say in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look down at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what Paul is saying there is you and I, apart from God making things known to us, you and I don't even have the ability to grasp these things. So it takes revelation. It takes a disclosure. God making Himself known and um, His ways known. Alright, so point number two. It is a disclosure of events. The revelation is a disclosure of events. What God wants us to know about what will happen and what is happening. And I put it backwards like that purposely. In other words, God, what, what God wants us to know about the future and about the present. where you would kind of just naturally say, what well, He wants us to know about the present and the future. <laughs> but I, but I, I reverse that purposely because um, He wants us to, to look at the outcome to understand that things are not out of control now. Alright? So again, I'm going to quote um, George Ladd here who, who I like because I like the way he says it here um, the nature of prophecy and that's what this book is the nature of prophecy is to let light shine from the future upon the present All right it's to let light shine from the future upon the present so for example when you look at the end time events and see God emerge as victor Christ emerges as as proven King of kings and Lord of lords, then that helps shed light on, uh, in fact, it shines tremendous light, on what is going on now. Because all of these things, what, 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 the, what the revelation is about, and all of these things that, that you and I are living through on a day-to-day basis, have to do with a cosmic struggle between the kingdom of God and the power of Satan. I mean, that's what's taking place, in, in one sense, in, in a realm that you and I don't see. But it does manifest in the physical realm. How does it manifest? Well, things like Muslims beheading 21 Christians, things like that. Things like government agencies pressuring Christians to the point that they cannot operate an honest business. That's how it manifests. It is the power of Satan fighting, opposing the kingdom of God. And when we look at the end time events, um, the defeat of Satan and the victory of Christ, and, and we see you know, where that all comes to, then it sheds light backwards on what we are living through now. All right? So again, uh, George Lass says, The nature of prophecy is to let light shine from the future upon the present. Okay, so so it is a disclosure of events, future events and present events. The revelation God discloses or makes known to us uh, in Revelation, uh, the revelation God discloses or makes known to us events that are to happen in the future and their reason for happening, at least in an ultimate sense. Now we don't get a, you know, an explanation for every little event, obviously, but, but we do in an ultimate sense. Why are there forces out there? like uh, governments who fight the church or, or false religions who fight the church, because of this cosmic struggle that is going on. Because all who are not in submission to God through faith in Jesus Christ, all who are not in Christ, are opposed to Him. That's just fact. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There is either submission to Christ and to His Lordship, on the part of an individual, or that individual is stands opposed to Christ. That's the struggle that goes on, has gone on um, throughout history and continues and will come to a climax at the end of the world. And Christ will emerge victorious, and the church, the people of God, believers will emerge victorious because He is victorious and because we are in Him. All right? So, uh, it... it Future events, present present events, in the revelation God discloses or makes known to us events that are currently taking place, that is, He reveals the true nature of them, like I was just talking about. He reveals the true nature of them and their reason for happening. So, it's a disclosure of events. Third, it's a disclosure of a person. Now, this is in that category of main points I was talking about earlier. This is, verse 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn some things about Jesus Christ. We're going to find out that He's not exactly our homeboy. You know, you see t-shirts say that kind of thing today. Oh, no. And He's not the good Lord. Well, he is good and he is Lord, but I'm I'm just saying. He's not merely um, something like that. Far, far beyond that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over all. You say, well, I don't see that in the world. I know. I know. It hasn't fully manifested yet. Even though he is in total control right now, he has not made that. Um, so obvious right now. But what we will see here is that that is the case, and of course, even if you never read the, the Revelation, when we get to the end time and the consummation of the ages, it will be manifestly clear to everyone, believers and unbelievers alike. Only for unbelievers it will then be too late to bow the knee. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. But to be saved, the time to bow the knee is now. Now. It's a disclosure of a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. In fact, you you, you could say it's a disclosure of God. You know, Jesus is God. God. But we're going to see some passages where there are are distinctions between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, what is highlighted is the sovereignty of God, the power of God. Jesus, here in in the text that we we, uh, read today, if you look back with me at uh, verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him who who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ there I think you've got you've got a reference to the trinity in verse 4 that is to God the Father him who is who was who is to come and from the seven spirits I think a reference, that is, I think a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, seven, we'll see this more as we go, but seven's is the number of perfection. Um, so, so, in other words, it's a symbolic means of highlighting His per- perfection. Who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, there's God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son in verse 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. Now, we've only got... A, well, actually, we're about out of time here. Let me just close with these remarks. Notice the language here. The firstborn of the dead. Now, just in terms of physical resurrection, there were people raised from the dead before Jesus was, right? I mean, just Lazarus, for example. was Physically, he was raised from the dead before... Jesus was, the, the widow of Nain, her son. Jesus raised him from the dead as well. So what does John mean? He calls him, the, the, the term that he uses here, firstborn from the dead. What, what is he talking about? And The idea here is he is the preeminent one. I don't think it has to do with cr- chronology. It's not talking about he was the first one that was ever physically raised. He was physically raised from the dead. He died physically, and he was raised physically from, from the tomb uh, in Jerusalem. He was raised from the dead. But he's first, and what John is talking about here, he's first in this sense. He's the preeminent one. <laughs> the first born from the dead. Just like a, a firstborn child in that culture was considered to be preeminent and got a double portion of the inheritance. He's the firstborn of the dead, or out of the dead. And the ruler of kings on the earth now that's a different word but here it's got the same carries the same connotation in other words he's the preeminent one among the rulers on the earth which we're going to see as we go on he's referred to as king of kings and lord of lords so this is a a making known a revealing of the truth of the person of Jesus Christ That He is the one before whom every single one of us will stand and give an account. Whether you are a Christian or not, one day you will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for your life. You today, you may be an atheist, you may be Hindu, you may be Muslim. One day, you will stand before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and give an account for your life. And what will matter is not, you know, have you done good deeds in your life, but what will matter is, have you believed on Him? Have you submitted to His Lordship, like Davion professed to do today? Committed to do today? He's saying, in baptism, I am submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and from this point on, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what's going to matter when you get to stand before Him at that day. Whether or not you have done that, by the way, not just whether or not you said that, but whether or not you have done that, being baptized, every Christian has to be baptized, we're commanded to do that, but being, baptism doesn't, being baptized doesn't, doesn't do it, that doesn't save us. But are we true followers of Christ? He's the one we'll stand before. He's the firstborn. He's the preeminent one. The firstborn, the preeminent one from among the dead, the preeminent ruler of all the kings on the earth. In fact, in verse 8, a voice comes and says, and I think this is intended to, to be a reference to God the Father, I am the Alpha and the Omega," says the Lord, "Who is and who was and who is to come." But if you get when we get over to uh, Lord willing, we'll we'll get there. Or like Miss Joe said, we may all be out of here before we make it this far. But when you get over to Revelation chapter 22 verse 13, uh, this is Jesus speaking. And in verse 12, Jesus says, "Behold, I am coming soon." bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You say, wow, that sounds just like what God said back in chapter 1. Exactly. In other words, part of the revealing of the person of Jesus Christ, part of What God wants us to know about Him is that He is the eternal God, the Creator. He is the One who was alive and was dead and is now alive forevermore. He is the One who is coming soon and bringing His recompense with Him. He is the One before whom we will all stand to be judged. Because God, Paul said... In uh, in Acts 17, God has appointed a day on which He will judge the world. And that will be before Jesus Christ. So it is a disclosure. The the revelation is a disclosure. It's a a disclosure of events, future and present. And it's a disclosure of a person, the person of Jesus Christ. God wants us to know these things for our own good. And so he says, blessed, blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is at hand. It's near. Would you stand, please? Father, I I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know you in truth, this will be the day, Lord, we ask that you break through, break in upon their hearts. May this be the day that they submit to you as Lord and know your saving power. May all of us, Lord, as we, as we consider uh, your word and as we move through this book and consider what you have given us here, may we all be strengthened in our trust of you. May we be able to say like Paul, I don't count my own life dear to myself. And may we be able to say again like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May we be faithful servants. Lord, we thank You so much for all of the promises that are also made known here for all of those who believe, just based on Your goodness and Your grace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.